Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line today by my colleague and neighbor, Mr. Charles Curtis. Charles, how are you? Doing well. Happy to be back on the on the podcast. It is always good to have you. I have been on vacation and, and uh, covering spring training in Phoenix, so I've been sort of out of the loop, I guess, both in terms of non-baseball sports and in terms of the, uh, the For the Win New York City office or the USA Today Sports New York City office, which is sort of segueing into the For, for the Win New York City office based on how many people, how many of us now work there. But uh, it, was, it was good to hang out yesterday, and it's, and it's good to talk to you now. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, seeing other human beings, uh, for, for those listeners who don't know, I, I work from home a lot, and I, Ted it does as well. So seeing other human beings is really underrated when you think about it, and when you're stuck in your house all day, and then you, you hang out with your coworkers. It's very, very, it gets the hearts pumping, very exhilarating. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. I, I had an old job where, you know, I always maintained I could do everything I had to do from home, but they made me come into the office, and I complained all the time about why I had to be in the office to, you know, edit a website, but then now I've switched to this job where they don't make us come into the office, and I find that, yeah, oddly enough, for as down as I generally am on humanity, I do tend to miss human contact. Yeah, it was it was something I worked from home for two and a half years before I, I came to For the Win, and uh, we didn't even have there at what we have is Slack, which is you know group chat uh, uh, app and. You know, I used to sit at home and, and uh, email with people, which is, when you think about it now, it's super slow. But you'd really, you know, the only time I ever got a phone call was like three times where, you know, it was, it was something, you know, amiss. And uh, it was always like, oh, wow, there's another human being on the other end of this phone. You know, wow. Uh, so, yeah, human contact. Like, if you're out there and you're working from home, try to find yourself somewhere to work where there are people occasionally. It's good. It's good. And, and, you know, I say this, of course, from the comfort of my sweatpants, completely unshowered in my home, uh, have not yet left the apartment today. But uh, I do find that there is room in my life for seeing other people, uh, oddly enough. But let's get into it. So, uh, like I said, I've missed a lot in sports the last couple weeks. Uh, We're going to go through some of our favorite things that have happened over the past week. And since I I do like to give our guests the last word, that means I got to go first with one of my three things. Uh, And so I am uh, sort of stuck on baseball, like I said, and, and spent the morning writing about this. So I'll jump right into it. It's just the... Incredible wealth, and this is not a new thing, this is not a a weekly development, this has been several years running now, but the incredible wealth of of young talent in Major League Baseball. This morning I tried to put together the best possible team of 25 and under Major League Baseball players and found it way, way harder than I expected. Some positions were fairly easy to pick. There are not a lot of great young catchers, so Gary Sanchez sort of falls into that one for for being incredible last year. But uh, when you look at at shortstop, where there's you know Francisco Lindor, who was my pick, but also Corey Seager, who was a legit MVP candidate last year for the Dodgers, Carlos Correa, who might very well be an MVP candidate this year for the Astros. Not to mention guys like Trey Turner, who's going to play short for the Nats this year, uh, Xander Bogarts, who's been great for the Red Sox, Addison Russell, who's a great defensive player for the Cubs. It was hard. I mean, and that's so many positions. It was just, it was really hard to come up with the best guy at every spot, 25 and under. And I think it's exciting as a baseball fan. Yeah, it, it's pretty insane. And when you point out the amount of, of guys at shortstop, and you look at that list, and it just grows and grows and grows, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And you've written about this before, kind of the, the right, the, the idea that shortstop has become the, the new and vogue position for your young stars. It's just really kind of fascinating that it's sort of like the advent of of statistics in defense makes you realize that like you need a really good, fast, nimble, on his feet shortstop. Um, and then all of a sudden they can also hit like thirty home runs, like an A Rod early early A Rod. You know, it, it's positively insane that that is the sort of the new development, and that there are what ten guys that are at shortstop. You mentioned Trey Turner, who's even one who could you know ascend to start on the season. That's crazy positively nuts and pretty awesome yeah and i'm glad you brought up the stats because it's a it's a funny thing you know how how stats tend to trend and i i think it 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 happens you know teams aren't necessarily working with the same information that fans and media are but the trends i do think sort of mirror each other in terms of you know what 
we believe to be the best stats to measure players and and what teams are using or going with to measure their players and there, there are certainly you know particulars that that uh that that are different and and i'm sure you know there are clubs that are working with stuff that you know wouldn't we can't even conceive of right now but you know for so long uh, especially around the you know the so-called moneyball era and the so-called steroids era we saw this you know uh, trend toward sort of plotting sluggers and guys who hit lots of home runs and drew lots of walks, which was cool because, you know, we like run scoring, but now the, the game has sort of decidedly trending, trended toward, back toward, you know, valuing defense, and, and now that we have better ways to measure how valuable a good defender can be, it seems like so many of the guys on the list that were, I was putting together are not just really, really good hitters, but excellent excellent defensive players and great all-around players at their positions and it makes it fun you know i i think you want to watch uh, you know defend i not as much as i want to watch home runs but i do want to see awesome defensive players as well as well and it's cool to see you know a guy like manny machado who certainly could be more than capable at shortstop playing mostly third base and 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 there's still a chance he'll move back to shortstop at some point but you know being such an outrageously good third baseman and and having a guy like that there having a guy like Javier Baez at second base who again could also be certainly a good shortstop a good defensive shortstop in the majors it makes it cool you get to see awesome plays from all around the diamond well, you, you took the words out of my mouth with Manny Machado because I thought that was your most interesting pick, at least you know, with with the third base with Arenado there, with Nolan Arenado being a star in Colorado. And I, the thing I love about Manny Machado is, first of all, yeah, the guy can play defense at shortstop. He's kind of big for a shortstop, mm-hmm. and he, but he's got range for days. And and to see what he does when he gets that sort of that backhand ball going to foul ground, and he takes like seven steps or eight into foul ground that normally, you know, a third baseman would be dead on. Any normal, I would say, third baseman. You could argue me on this one. No, you're but right. For him to make that throw, and he makes it with ease, it's cr- it, it blows my mind every time. And Manu Chato, by the way, I don't get to see as much baseball in person as you do. Um, I was lucky enough to go to the, what was the, the City Field All-Star Game? Was it 2012, 13? Uh, 20, I want to say 20. Well, let's let's think about this. So, so this most recent was the Padres. I just know. I think it was twenty fourteen, right? Fourteen. Yeah, you're right. It's right. That's right. Three years ago. So I got the chance to go to the cages and watch everybody hit. And and the, Manny Machado was the one where my jaw was was on the floor. And him and Paul Goldschmidt, by the way, just for in terms of pure swing. Just to watch him hit a ball, it looked effortless. It was beautiful, and he cranked everything. Everything was a line drive. Everything was beautiful. There's no wasted motion, and it, it was like this guy who's already at that point was really pretty good at baseball is now ascending to you know potential MVP candidate. And and the question I have for you, by the way, and this is one that's stuck in my head with guys like Arnada, is like why is third base always sort of a rare position for such talent? And and you know you you've got all these you know it's a rare. Hall of Fame position. You got Mike Schmidt, and then you got a few other guys, but not a ton. Is it is it just a position that wears you out because you have to play so much defense and uh, you know you, hot corner you get hit balls hit at your face all the time. I don't know. I, just, I was just curious if you had an no. Answer it's that. a it's a good question, and it's it's definitely I think the position that is most underrepresented in the Hall of Fame. And I, I think, you know, I would defer to someone like Jay Jaffe. There are these, like, Hall of Fame experts who know sure. this better than me. But the the talk is generally that, you know, third basemen have not gotten enough credit in, in Hall of Fame voting. And there are guys out there like uh, Dick Allen and, and more recently Scott Rowland who doesn't seem likely to have, you know, a very strong Hall of Fame case or, or at least to get a lot of the votes, but, but probably has, you know, a... Uh, if you're just lining up the the numbers, if you compare them to other third basemen, I think you could you could say you know deserves his uh, deserves to be in, uh, and and this is anecdotal, but I, it feels like there are a lot of you know, rolling among them, a lot of great third basemen who hit the league and then uh, sort of you know 
peter out or or start yeah. getting hurt in their early 30s. I mean, David Wright certainly was a guy clearly on Hall of Fame trajectory into his late 20s, and now we've seen, you know, riddled by injuries, held to 75 games over the last few years, out right now, not clear when he's going to be able to start playing this season. And so, you know, a guy who for whom the Hall of Fame now appears something of a long shot, I would say. Uh, yeah. You know, Adrian Beltre has sort of quietly been outrageously good over the past 10 or 15 years, and, and he'll make the Hall of Fame and, and maybe be the next, you know, third baseman there. Uh, but, yeah, it's 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 a funny one. And it's funny, you mentioned Arenado, and, and I just wanted to say, like, I started out the list. I was like, I'm going to put together a 25 and under Major League team in part because I want to hype Nolan Arenado because of how good he is, and yeah. I feel like he's such an... Un, un, for a guy who's led the National League in home runs two straight years, sort of an incredibly under-discussed great player because he's so good on defense and so good on offense and, and honestly will be, I think, my pick, and I guess it's sort of a sleeper pick, but when I put together my predictions, I'm going to I'm gonna say Nolan Arenado for, for NL MVP in 2017, and I couldn't even squeeze him onto my list of the best 25 <laughs> and under players in baseball, because Machado, to me, has just been like ever so slightly better on defense, and they've been extremely similar, when you adjust for the park, extremely similar offensive players over the last couple of years. So, it's a... I don't know. I think it's probably a combination of things. I think probably the great def- the guys who have the potential to be great defensive third basemen often just wind up playing shortstop because it's the the more premium defensive position. So you know it's rare when you get a guy like Brooks Robinson who, if you look at the numbers, like probably should have been playing so a shortstop. He was so good at third base, uh, or or a Machado who you know has the the luxury of. J.J. Uh, Hardy, who, you know, while not certainly not the offensive player that Machado is or Cal Ripken was or, or anything like that, has been, you know, a really, really steady, strong defender at shortstop. Sometimes, uh, you know, a few years back, at least one of really the best gloves in, in the game at shortstop. And so sometimes it requires a guy kind of being forced there. But it does feel like with, with Machado, with Arenado, and a guy we haven't even mentioned, because I put him at first base on the list only as like a... a, a, a it was a cheating, basically. I put Chris Bryan at first base because there really aren't a ton of great under-25 first basemen, and Bryant did play a handful of games there when Anthony Rizzo sat out last year. But Chris Bryant's a third baseman and, and a yeah. great one. Counts counts as, as first base in certain fantasy leagues, so I I, I allow it as as a judge. I'll say on a technicality, it was cheating. Uh, when you talk about Adrian Beltre, by the way, that is a just such an amazing story for us growing up with Adrian Beltre being like this heinous contract that you know that he signed. It was like, oh my god, they signed him for so much money, and then he just kept getting better and staying consistent and super duper consistent. And it's just it's it's crazy. I'm very excited for all the jokes about his head being touched when he gets in the Hall of Fame. I, that that will be. It'll be a really nice little sub storyline for for him in the Hall of Fame. I mean, and and such a fun he has been such a fun player to watch. It's been really nice to see the world sort of come around on Adrian Beltre because it, for a while it was like, well, he had this one outstanding year way back when with with the Dodgers. Like you said, he got you know he got that big contract, and then it seemed like he was sort of disappointment. Uh, trying to hit in Seattle is a very very difficult thing. He uh, became more popular, I think, when he when he landed on the Red Sox. But then, since being on the Rangers, has just been such a steady and really just incredible player as he enters his late 30s. That now you start looking at some of the career numbers, and you're saying like, hey, Adrian Beltre might get to 3,000 hits and, and 500 That's home right. runs. Like this is That's it, crazy. it went from a guy where it's like you don't know this, but Adrian Beltre has a Hall of Fame case to now like, oh yeah, like Adrian Beltre is a no doubt, no brainer Hall of Famer. It, it's nuts, and and it, it's a it's a great story in that yeah that there was a point where we're all like oh wait wait it three thousand hits wait wait a second hold it you know it stop the presses uh, because a lot of our hall of famers we think I think have like these big you know sort of middle of their careers and you say oh that's a hall of fame case but this is a guy who's consistent and I love consistency in sports and in, in our in our athletes the ones who can keep doing it even through age thirty eight or whatever it is um, you know the Tom Brady's of this world who just keep doing it. Um, year in and year out, as opposed to the ones who sort of have their big middle of the career and then kind of you know level off because of age. Love Adrian Beltre. Let's get to your first thing. Yeah, let's let's talk, let's keep on the baseball 
uh, subject. Um, I wrote about today, and I, it's one of these things where nobody else cares but me, but I'm writing I care. It, I care so thing. much. Thank you so much. I, so Matt Foley is a, a, a catching prospect for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, and for those of you who don't know the name Matt Foley, you didn't watch SNL Saturday Night Live in the 1990s. Matt Foley was the name of a Chris Farley character who is a motivational speaker who just runs into the room and just, I, I can't describe it any other way than just, you know, he's, he's hiking his pants up, he's screaming in faces, he's breaking up his, his, his cast members. I would uh, say, I would say the, the, def- the defining Chris Farley Saturday Night Live character, is that fair? Probably. Yeah, that's. I think that that's pretty pretty good. I, there's the guy who's on um, Weekend Update who flies when he does air quotes. That's ben, another ben one that's Brower. really good. Yeah, 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 and that's a really great one. But this is yeah, easily the best. And and um, so Matt Foley, you would hope that somebody named Matt Foley would embrace this, and he did. And that's what's so great about this this little nugget of of a story is that Matt Foley of the Braves has a T-shirt on on his Instagram account that is like a little uh, cartoon logo of of Farley as Matt Foley with an, a Braves hat on, and it's also on the bottom of his bat as a bat decal, uh, which is which was unearthed by ESPN's Keith Law. And I just, I think that's just the best. Because, you know, a guy, I'm trying to think of another example of another athlete who shares a name with, you know, somebody famous, or, you know, sometimes it's a negative, I don't want to be asked about that anymore. But here is Matt Foley with that name, and he's just taking it and running with it, and man, do I want that T-shirt. Yeah, I would say like a good comp would be, and I don't know what his stance on this is, but I would say the the lack of quotes I've seen uh, on this probably suggests he's not terribly thrilled to talk about it. But Evan Longoria and yes. having basically the same name as Eva Longoria, which I think is like one of the under discussed storylines in baseball history, is that like we got this famous woman Eva, Eva Longoria, and then like two years later there was this baseball player who had like one letter difference in his name it was just because it's not like it, it's like Jane and John Smith, right? Like Eva and Evan Longoria. Neither is, like, a terribly common-sounding name, and that we should get both of those people on our radar in such a short time is pretty incredible to me. Uh, But, yeah, but, I mean, I doubt he's putting an Eva Longoria bat decal on the knob of his bat. Right, and I I just, I think that that kudos to Matt Foley, the athlete, for paying tribute to such an awesome character. And we all love Chris Farley, and we all love Chris Farley on SNL. Um who I think, you know, is easily a Hall of Famer uh, when it comes to SNL uh, actors, uh, uh, cast members. I think he's, he's in there easily. Um, and it's just, it's just really funny to, to see an embrace. You know, it's a rarity to me to see an athlete embrace that as opposed to sort of, you know, pushing it off and saying, I don't want to hear any more questions about that stupid thing. Yes, I share a name with this character. You know, but no, he doesn't do that. He well, just, and especially he just, like such an unathletic seeming character. Like, you don't want to be, you don't want to be, like Chris Farley, and or, I mean, you want to be like Chris Farley if you're trying to be funny, but you don't want to be a professional athlete compared to Chris Farley. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, so that that was one of my favorite things this week. Uh, go read it on on, on uh, for the win, and please just you know share, revel in it. That's the thing. You know, I, sometimes I write something and I go, nobody cares, and uh, this is one where I want I want people to kind of jump on board and be like, yeah, Matt Foley, new new favorite, you know, young baseball player. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. I'm with you. And I would say that uh, I probably engage in, like, more passion projects than than most on For the Win. But uh, I definitely appreciate uh, coming with that news. And I want to just so you feel old, I, I just want to point out uh, the Matt Foley sketch came out on May 8th, 1993 was the original Matt Moley, Foley sketch, which was almost a full year before Braves catcher Matt Foley was born. <laughs> um, so maybe oh dear. maybe that's the type of thing where if he had if it had been concurrent, right? Like if Matt Foley was 22 in 1993, you'd be like, oh, I'm sick of hearing about this. But if it's like a loving tribute to the late Chris Farley, then it's a little bit different. Like I, I don't so much mind now if someone references the Seinfeld episode where he kept 
saying Mr. Berg, Mr. Berg. Mr. Berg. Remember that? Um, great John Houseman name. And no one knew who John Houseman was, and I still don't really, not entirely clear on that. But, man, did it suck to go to high school the next day. When every, in an era when, like, remember, this is like appointment TV at that point because no one had DVRs. And so everybody in high school had watched Seinfeld the night before. And I got to walk down the halls, and everybody's like, Mr. Berg, hey, Ted, you've got a great John Houseman name. It's like, you have no idea who John Houseman is, but you're just going <laughs> to harass me with that. Um, that's a pretty. That's a pretty good uh, little like you know in the moment TV <laughs> reference. I mean you know so many people over the years have said Charles in Charge to me, and I go I've never heard that. And I you know I look back at Charles in Charge. It's a it's a fine show, not one of the all time greats, but it was a fine show. And it wasn't the worst show to be uh, associated with. And so you you have a little association with uh, with Seinfeld. That's that's not that's not the worst. But yes, I can imagine walking down the hall on that Friday and being like. No, no, yeah. I, I, no way. I, yeah, I mean, I, and like I didn't care that much, right? It wasn't like a, like it was like being bullied. I don't want to make it come off like that. It was just like it was just annoying. It was just like, oh, okay. I saw Seinfeld too. Like I get it. Someone had the same last name as me, and he said Mr. Berg a bunch. Um, I would say nowhere near as bad as being around eight years old and widely called Teddy when Teddy Ruxpin came out. Oh no, that's bad. Well, actually, by, by the way, the, the, it was Alec Berg. Was it was because that was the name of one of their writers, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah, Alec um, Berg, right? Yeah, and and he's uh, he has written like, brilliant. Yeah, he's. I think he also writes for Silicon Valley now. He does. Uh, mm-hmm. and he's just like a guy who shows up in the credits for like tons and tons of great TV shows. So not someone I'm embarrassed in any way to be associated with. Just not someone I'm related to. And again, on the John Houseman thing, like if you don't know who John Houseman is, it's hard to keep referencing that joke. But people. Do. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I also, I, before we move on, I, I always looked at that on the Seinfeld credits when I realized when it's sort of the lightning bolt hit me that Alec Berg, Berg was also the name of a writer on Seinfeld. I was like, that's definitely a joke the writer's room used to throw around. They're like, why don't we throw it in an episode? And that was the end of it. And I feel like that was funny to find out. Anyway, we can move on. No, but, that's, yeah. that's absolutely the case. I, I always, I, I love thinking about things like that. Like, this is maybe something that really happened to this guy. Or this is something that, yeah, yeah. Trying to come up with how they came up with their, their stories is a fun little exercise. Give me a, another, or is it? Is it? It's my turn. It's your turn. Oh, yeah. it's my turn. All right. Um, so this is. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hearken back to uh, my vacation, which you know sometimes we talk about non-sports things. And as I mentioned with Hamill on the show, I was touring various national parks last week. Uh, went to the Grand Canyon. Went to Arches. Went to Zion in southern Utah. All of them spectacularly beautiful. I mean, if if you've been to, have you been to any of those places? I've not actually, and I've seen photos from friends who've gone there, and it's it's definitely on my list. Uh, you know, so that that little chunk of of you know Utah, Wyoming, that sort of area of the you know New Mexico national parks, like I'm I'm all in. I really want to go to all those. So tell me more. Um, well, I mean, I'd say first and foremost, like you got to see the Grand Canyon before you die. It's the type of thing where you can see a photo, and it's I would say it is more than anything else I've seen really in my life, something that justifies photography. Because the size of it and the scale of it is so incredible that there's no way uh, a representation on a page or on a computer screen can ever really do it justice. Just because it's really, really, really big hole in the ground. Uh, (laughs) And and one worth checking out. Uh, But also, I mean, Arches is incredible. Uh, Cool walking. I did some some off-roading in like a little uh, 4x4. I don't even know what it was called. It was like an off-road vehicle. Not not an ATV. uh, A different variety of one-man off-road vehicle. Was it a a dune buggy? It was like a dune buggy. I believe it was called an RZR, yeah, it was called an RZR, which I guess is a brand name of, yeah, of, and I don't know what that stands for, but it was a, it was a cool little thing, and driving around on it, and we weren't in in proper arches, because they won't let you drive in the national park, but still on, like, federal land in the exact same area as arches, so the same stuff, uh, and doing that off-roading stuff is super fun, like, it was like, you know, like being, like, sort of an adult version of a go-kart, you know, where you get to, like, do stupid stuff, and you kind of feel like uh, you kind of feel like you're invincible, even though I know 
for sure that probably people get hurt on these things all the time because they sort of beg you to do dumb stuff. But uh, really, really fun, really beautiful. But the thing uh, that was most impressive to me about the national parks and all of that were the crowds. And, and like I said before, I don't love people in general. And so it's not... You know, it doesn't necessarily make for a more pleasant trip, right? Like, I think you'd rather see the Grand Canyon on your own or arches completely empty. But I do, it does, like, warm my heart a little bit to see so many people coming out to witness nature and and spectacle. I know it was probably spring spring break time for a lot of people, so that probably contributed to it. But... We went to three national parks, all of which were packed, hard to find parking. All of the trails had tons of people on it. And, and again, you know, that's not necessarily ideal, but it, it felt good. It felt like sort of redeeming, especially when we then finished our trip in Vegas. And the casinos seemed surprisingly quiet by the standards I've seen in Vegas. So mm. it felt like, I don't know, and like, again, I'm not here for judgments, and I certainly went to the casinos, and I, and as you know, I'm, I'm into roulette, and I like betting on stuff, and so I'm not saying like, oh, going to the national parks is better than going to Vegas, but yeah, I guess that is exactly what I'm saying. Going to the national parks is better for you, better for your mind, better for your education, better for not throwing away your money to massive businesses than, than going to <laughs> Vegas. And so uh, I guess just a little bit, like I said, like redeeming a, a, a good thing to see. And I'll, I'll note also that I, I then, you know, I right after coming back from Vegas, uh, my wife and I tried to go to the Whitney in New York City, the art museum. And sure. there's there a line around the block. We couldn't get in. We, we were like, I, I don't want to wait in a line, a line around the block to go into an art museum that I then know will be packed, especially when we could go there on a Tuesday, which which a lot of people can't since we live in New York City. But again, like something that made me feel good about people in general, that they're, that they're lining up for the art museum and not for the roulette table. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the National Parks thing is, is, is something I've come on to later in life. And, you know, again, I'm I'm not that old. We're both, you know, around the same age. Um, but when I was younger, I didn't do a lot of that stuff. Um, my vacations were mostly sort of like beachy vacations. And what I discovered is the national parks around our country are incredible. And the ones that I definitely want to go to, you named a bunch of them. Um, the one I want to uh, hawk for is if you've ever, if you've ever been to Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii. Yeah, it's one of these things where, like, so we went to Hawaii on our honeymoon, my wife and I, and and it was one of these things where. Everybody's like, oh, everybody goes to Hawaii for their honeymoon, you know, or like, you know, people say, oh, we could just, why, are you, why are you flying 10 hours? It's, you could go to a beach nearby, you know, closer east, you know, sort of the, near New York. And I got to tell you, the Hawaiians, uh, the Hawaii's National Park in, on the Big Island, um, the, the Volcano National Park, is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my life, just in terms of, first of all, you see an active volcano, you see lava flowing, you see all these sort of natural things that have happened because the lava has come and, and, and made its way through the island. And then you, you get to like a black sand beach where you can sit next to a giant sleeping turtle. And when you talk about crowds, by the way, that's one of the things that killed me when I was there is like I saw a lot of people like taking pictures with the, the, the turtles and waking them up a little bit, like just getting oh, too close. Not, and I wanted nice. to... Yeah, I just wanted to be like, you leave know... The leave the turtle alone, it's endangered. Leave the turtle alone, yeah. exactly. Because what you see out in the sea near that black sand beach, which I, I encourage everybody who goes to Hawaii or lives in Hawaii to you know, go see it, uh, is you see these turtles fighting their way through this really tough uh, water trying to find some food and do their thing. And then they come to the beach and they, they sit down and they go to sleep. And I'm like, you know, we, we definitely sat, I would say, a good, I don't know, 20, 30 feet, snapped some pictures, did not move a muscle, kind of let the, the turtle do its thing. Um... And yeah, it's just you know when when you sort of go into that other environment where you're you're in you know surrounded by no windows. We've talked about you know casinos being pretty crazy. Just sort of the I guess the juxtaposition of those two things. You sit there and go, man, like nature's awesome. <laughs> you know, there's no other way to put it. It's so it's oversimplifying it, but you really do feel that way. And I've been I, I've been lucky enough to travel a lot in my life. I've been overseas a bunch of times. I've been uh, I've seen like incredible natural beauty in Southeast Asia and in Europe and uh, and you know all over the place. But I think and and you know I can't say I've been everywhere. But I think for natural beauty, 
the United States is kind of underrated. Like, I think you think, like, oh, yeah, you got to go someplace far to check out this thing. But if you're just looking for cool-looking stuff that exists in nature, like, the U.S. has a lot to offer. Yeah, oh, no doubt, 100%. And it's funny because when you, you talk about, like, states that you wouldn't think about visiting, we've had that discussion sometimes with, with our coworkers. It's like Wyoming has, like, some of the best national parks ever. And, yeah. like, that's where you go. Same with the Dakotas, you know what I mean? Places that I wouldn't say are necessarily destinations like other uh, states around. And I'm not, this is not me knocking other states, but, when, you know, when we're well, talking, I mean, like, I'm I actually just, hyping them. I just know? spent a vacation in Utah. Who thinks about going to Utah? Utah is gorgeous, gorgeous Utah's place. great. Great, great state. Yeah. Um, and I would say the same for New Mexico, like you said, Wyoming, uh, Montana. And it's not about specific parks in Montana, though it's close to Yellowstone. But just driving across Montana is spectacular. Uh, if you're going, go to Sir Scott's Oasis. It's a steak place in Manhattan, Montana. You will thank me later. Please go there. Keep it in business. I want it to be there whenever I next get to Montana. It's the best steak I've ever had in my life. So if anyone out there is listening and thinking about going to Montana – Drive out of your way to go to Sir Scott's Oasis. I want to throw in that. Uh, and and speaking of food, because I want to get on to your next thing, but uh, the, the For the Win podcast is presented in part by Blue Apron. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient recipe delivery service in the country. Uh, its mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. I've done it. It's great. It comes really quickly. It's really easy to set up. They've got a bunch of options for meals. Uh, they've established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States, so they source this, their seafood sustainably. The beef, chicken, and pork come from responsibly raised animals. Uh, it's 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 easy to make. It's it's uh, a bunch of cooking techniques you might not necessarily know or might not, ne- if in my case, might not necessarily incorporate without prompting, but they give you the recipes so you can use them again. You develop new skills that you might not otherwise have, which I have found that I do, you know, bring into my other cooking now. I sometimes zest citrus, which was not something I would have ever done and not something I ever did before uh, before the Blue Apron experience. Uh, they've got a few good upcoming meals coming, spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza, that sounds good to me, sweet and sour salmon, Parmesan ch- crusted chicken is on the docket. Uh, Check out Blue Apron. Uh, you can check out this week's ma- menu and get your first three meals free. That's free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash for the win. That's blueapron.com slash for the win. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. Blue Apron, it's a better way to cook. Charles, give me your next good thing. Well, it's not a really good thing, okay? I, I, it's a thing I want to talk about. Um, it's, a, it's a good thing for the people of, of Las Vegas and, and those who go to Las Vegas, for people who want to go to Las Vegas. But the fact that the Raiders uh, were just, uh, the, the announcement was that they're going to uh, relocate to Las Vegas is a thing we need to talk about because it is a mm-hmm. thing that it happened this week in sports. I think, so, and, so I just want to say, like, the, it's pretty frequent that not good things come up here. We can just find good ways to spin them, and I would say in this one, the thing that, the way I would spin it as good is that I happen to love awkwardness. <laughs> yes, and this is super awkward. Uh, the thing for me that, that, that occurred the moment that it happened, and, and this doesn't necessarily happen with other teams moving. I don't know what it is. It was like the Chargers moved to, to L.A. this, this offseason, um, and the Rams did last offseason. It didn't hit me as much as it did with the Raiders, and I, I'm trying to figure out why. It was this feeling of, like, we live in New York. I, we both root for New York teams. The, imagining what it was like to have a team that I bled for, rooted for, grew up with. It was a part of my family. Uh, you know, the New York Mets are a good example. Uh, or the New York Giants. To be moved, to be wrenched away from me in such a way that they were now somebody else's team. I was like, wow, that is a gut punch. That is really awful. That was the first thought that came to mind when the Oakland Raiders moved. And the second thought was... Man, oh, Oakland fans have it just the worst, don't they? Because look at what they had to deal with for 20 years, 30 years. I mean, Al Davis is a classic, you know, NFL owner, uh, the late Al Davis, I should say. Um, You know, they did win some Super Bowls early on, and uh, they are, you know, sort of one of the the original, you know, classic NFL franchise. Not an original one, but, you know, they're longstanding. And I just think about the fact that, like, an Oakland Raiders fan just dealt with, what, 20 years of, of just putrid, terrible awfulness, and then just as kind of things were turning around, suddenly you get this news, and you think, no, just that feeling, whatever that feeling is, 
it's awful. I feel for you, Oakland. Um, it's it's an awful feeling. And then, of course, we you I know you'll talk about the fact that they're going to be staying in Oakland for another two years. Yeah, it's so weird. I'm right, like, because now they're going to be playing. And 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 now now that you put that spin on it, now I feel bad. Like for because when you think about it from the outside perspective, when it's not me and it's not my teams, you're like, oh, that's funny. The Raiders are going to move and they're going to sit there and play and for two years in Oakland in front of a fan base that's going to be super resentful, right? Because it's not like people aren't going to. Raiders games, they they got the, all the crazy dudes and skull stuff and biker guys and all those people who were the crazy Raiders fans. Are they going to go hard out for the Raiders for the last two years they're playing in an Oakland, in the lousy Oakland Coliseum, when they know yeah. the club wants no part of staying there? And and you mentioned what Oakland has gone through. Don't forget the Warriors are leaving Oakland as well, right? And it's not a big deal because they're just moving across the bay, but they're still losing that team. And there's been talk that, you know, and, and now I think the Raiders moving probably makes the A's more likely to stay in Oakland. But the mm. A's have talked about moving around to other spots in, in the Bay in the Bay Area as well. So it's a team that's, you know, at risk of basically losing all of its teams or, or some risk of losing all of its teams. And, and like you said, like, you know, growing up as a fan of a team, it becomes so much a part of your identity. And I think really, like, more than anything, it's like a part of your family. Like, it's it's something you share with your parents and your siblings and, and your friends. And, and you just sort of join this community. And to have these, like, billionaire guys just decide it's not for you anymore, yeah, that sucks. I mean, that just sucks. Yeah, it, it's pretty awful, and and you 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 touched on a little bit. The fan base for Oakland is is unique. Um, just looking around the NFL, you know, every every team has their you know own unique fan group or set of fans or one fan. You know, the Jets have have or had, I should say. You know, he he came in and out of their lives. Uh, you know, Fireman Ed, uh, <laughs> and you know there are guys from you know the 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 guys in in Washington who dress up like pigs in dresses. You know that 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 sort of thing. But Oakland's fans, there are these guys who dress up in, and and women too who dress up in these crazy elaborate costumes and they're scary and it's called the black hole that's gone i mean i don't know if they'll follow to vegas it would be really interesting to me to see how much of of that fan base will stick because you know it's not that close actually it's pretty far to get to vegas yeah i just Um, looked it up as an it's a nine hour drive like it's not there you go not happening it's not la you're either you're either flying or or you're spending the whole you know that's that's like a that's your vacation is going to see a raiders game in vegas yeah, and and the thing that it occurs to me is uh, this actually you you participated in this a few weeks ago is there was um you know that quote from Bryce Harper who was saying you know I want to win a championship not just for Washington but also for the long suffering fans in Montreal where the Nationals franchise came from right. and it was a really fascinating little little experiment I I put it out on Twitter and you kind of pushed it ahead as well which was great to say like Montreal fans do you really care about do you agree with this do you feel like Bryce Harper bringing you a championship like you you're like yeah go Nats they don't care they just, a lot of the tweets that came back to I me mean, all of them I think said nope don't care don't need it and I wonder if Oakland fans if like the Las Vegas Raiders win a Super Bowl how they'll feel so uh, we'll find out I would imagine resentful right like and 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 totally. I don't know like the Montreal fan base was weird because I, I like so I I happened to go and and I was going to bring this up I went to I think the second to last home series in Montreal and it was a dead zone. I mean, like there, it was really hard to feel. And I get now that there has been this like great movement around bringing baseball back to Montreal. And I do think that a lot of what forced the Expos to leave were just the sort of particular circumstances there, especially in a, a stadium that shouldn't really have been hosting Major League Baseball games by that point. And uh, you know, there the the. Uh, the strike and and lockout or whatever were part of it. The way the the league sort of came in and took over the team was certainly part of it. There was a lot there beyond just oh, there's not enough interest in Montreal for baseball. But uh, but it was hard at that point in 2004 
to feel bad for the people of Montreal. And maybe, again, maybe they had, because everybody knew the Expos were leaving, maybe they just sort of packed up and left. Why would anyone stick around to watch you know, Brad Wilkerson and Juan Rivera play baseball if it's not, you know, your long-term baseball team? But it was so empty and so depressing to sit through the games there that you were like, ah, whatever, it'll be better off moving to, to Washington. I don't know that that would be the case if I had gone to a Raiders game this year, and maybe it would be the case if you go to a Raiders game in 2018. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, but I, I would say for sure there are not a lot of Expos fans who are going hard out for the, for the Nationals. I think more than anything, they probably resent the Nationals for being yes. the, the team that their franchise used to be, you know? Yeah, well, the other thing is, is the, this is the interesting thing for the Oakland fan base, is they got two years left in Oakland, and they're actually a pretty good team. They made the playoffs last year. Derek Carr uh, broke his leg, and, and that was the end of it uh, for their season. But if Derek Carr had played, maybe they would have won a game. But they're, they're sort of on the upswing now. So, like, there's a scenario where, like, what if in that last season they win a Super Bowl? It would be the most insane kind of moment in in sports relocation history besides I guess Baltimore, the, the move from Baltimore to Indianapolis for the Colts which was sort of like that sneaky overnight we got the trucks and we're gone kind of moment but like if they win a championship if they win the Super Bowl in the next two seasons it will be wonderful and awkward at the same time so I kind of hope for that for Oakland fans like here's your long suffering thing you're going to lose your team but uh, you guys won we won one for you just one last one yeah that would be at least I guess like a catharsis you know to end the Raiders and then maybe there would be enough hype around football in Oakland and someone would be like alright fine we'll, we'll expand like I, I feel like uh, probably all of the professional sports are more ripe for expansion than they've been willing to expand in recent years with the possible exception of of the NHL, which seems to expand or at least relocate a, a bit more often than the others. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like what, uh, football is a massive me- mega billions industry, right? And I'm sure that all the guys at the top, the owners who would control expansion, are like, well, don't touch anything. We're all making tons of money. But if you're really interested in growing the game, maybe have 40 football teams, right? Like, there's there's talent out there, and, and there's certainly interest. Yeah, it, it would be uh, – you, you might have touched it on it. We'll see if there's expansion. I, it all depends on kind of how – you know, it seems like the owners, and this is just my own speculation, I don't have enough information to kind of go off it, it just seems like they want to, like, kind of keep things pretty status quo, you know, as long as they're making money. Yeah, uh, it seems and to me like that's the kind of thing. So, like, I don't know if expansion will make them more money, or if it, you know what I mean? Like, I probably will, but is it more of a headache? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a fascinating little thing. Like, do we keep things at 32? You know, the NHL is, I guess, a little different because they see uh, opportunity for expansion, uh, for, for growth in that way. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's an interesting thing to see. If, we'll see if they go overseas. Oh yeah, the, I mean, you know, yeah, there's always the chance for for London is is the one they talk about. That seems like such a logistic headache, but I guess in football it's easier to pull off because you're playing once a week. But I would right. just, I mean, I only the, the only one I know about confidently is baseball, and I would say that baseball is overdue for expansion at this point. And so it's a little bit complicated because of the recent expansions. If you look at the Diamondbacks and the Rockies and the Marlins and the Rays, you know, the Marlins and Rays do not draw well. Uh, I would contend that the, with the Marlins, it's all about just really being a poorly run franchise. With the Rays, it's all about having a horrible stadium. Uh, the Diamondbacks have had their moments. The Rockies, even when they're not great, they do tend to draw pretty well. So that's, I'd probably say, uh, I would probably target it without having won a World Series, which the Marlins have two of and the Diamondbacks have won. But the Rockies seem to me, at least business-wise, like the successful expansion story uh, in the recent expansions. But... I mean, we're also now 20 years since a baseball expansion and, and the longest period of time since the expansion era started in baseball, since the early 60s, without more teams. And, and this at a time when the game is, is, despite whatever it will tell you, growing rapidly, seeing more interest, seeing more money. Um, and I think there are so many areas, if, if baseball wants to expand the game and, and make it appeal to more, more fans and make it appeal to more young kids, uh, I think there are so many ways they could expand. I think there's a really good case for bringing a, a second team to Canada, whether that's you know in Montreal or, or perhaps Vancouver, someplace like that. Uh, a good case for bringing a team to Mexico. Uh, maybe 
less of a good case, but an interesting case for something in Puerto Rico. But then also, you know, just domestic U.S. cities. Charlotte seems like a place that could support a baseball team. Lots of baseball interests, lots of youth baseball and, and high school baseball and college baseball in North Carolina. I think uh, you could make a case for a team in, in Portland. Uh, you could make a team for a case in Vegas, you know, and, and, and you can point to some of these examples. It's like, well, okay, the AAA team didn't draw well or the AA team didn't draw well, but those are minor league teams. It's a different thing. Um, I think that, that if if I, someone put me in charge of baseball, which they should and they won't, I would immediately say, like, okay, six more teams. Like, let's just go for it. Let's just – yeah, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to diminish the talent pool a little bit. But guess what? Baseball players we're seeing today are so much better than baseball players we've ever seen at any time in the past. It's just we're getting more and more talent. That we're drawing on bigger and bigger pools, uh, more international players, more great young players. Just, yeah, so you got to deal with crummier bullpen arms for a few years while everybody sort of gets up to speed. I would just say, let's just do it. Sorry, owners, if it means you're getting a smaller piece of your multi-billion dollar pie, but if you're really out to make baseball more widespread and more loved, I think the way to do that is to open it up to more markets. I I vote uh, Ted Berg for uh, Baseball Czar. I'm in. All right. Uh, my last thing, speaking of baseball czar, uh, and being, being in charge of things and baseball, uh, my last good thing is just kind of a silly one. Uh, there's a lot of discussion over uh, our President Donald Trump throwing out the first pitch at an opening day, which has been uh, a, a tradition for presidents to throw out first pitches somewhere, I believe dating back to Taft. And and I don't think every president has done it every year. It's not like Trump will be the first, and I, I'll look that up, but I don't believe it would be that like Trump will be the first president to not throw out a first pitch. But uh, according to Barry, and I feel bad because I don't know how to, it's Barry Sfraluga of the Washington Post, not the easiest name to pronounce. I'm sure he's heard that before. Uh, he writes that, uh, he tweeted today, the Nats say that the White House has declined an invitation for President Trump to throw out the ceremonial first pitch on opening day. Uh, according to Nats, the White House scheduled, the White House cited a scheduling issue. Could be true, right? Maybe Donald Trump has something really important to do next next Monday. Uh, I'm, hopefully he has something to, important to do next Monday since he is the president. Um, it does seem like he finds plenty of time for golf. I don't know why he wouldn't be able to find time to throw out a first pitch at a baseball game, but uh, notably he was not invited to throw out the first pitch at the Orioles game, which is kind of funny. And I don't know. I don't know that this is a good thing because I, I kind of would like to see, and I don't want to get into politics, right? But it does seem like he's a, a not necessarily a thick-skinned guy, you know? So having him confront a crowd of, of per- perhaps impatient fans with perhaps less than, you know, mid-70s or or low-80s heat on his fastball, I feel like that would be a funny... I just feel like it would be a funny thing to watch. And and it's... I'm biased. I'm biased by politics in various ways. But I just... I just think it would be funny. Like, I just, I, I love seeing presidents throw out the first pitch. Uh, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of George W. Bush in the world, but that guy could throw, right? Like, that guy had a good arm. Sure and could. it was cool. That made me respect him. Like, at least, you know what, push comes to shove. If we need a world leader who can, you know, buzz a guy, you know, if he's, if he's from some sort of U.N. baseball game and, and, and Kim Jong-un steps up, you can trust George Bush to, like, beat him with that inside corner fastball. I don't know if I feel that way about Trump. You know, I'm going to take a different angle on this only because I'm not, and I'm not defending anybody, but it's a, it's a really interesting sports angle with him, which is this: it, it, Trump this year said he wasn't doing the the bracket, the bracketology is what it was called with Barack Obama. He was not going to do the NCAA bracket with the ESPN with Andy uh, Andy Katz as as Barack had done, President Obama, I should say, had done for seven years, eight years, I think it was eight, all eight years he did it um, on ESPN. Um, and I sort of was like, I get that. I get, you know, maybe President Trump isn't uh, the same, has the same, you know, amount of knowledge uh, about college basketball that President Obama does, and therefore he just is not going to embarrass himself um, on national television by picking 
you know, teams based on how much he likes the state or mascot or whatever it may be. Well, um, and there's which, so much, and like you said, like there's so much politics in it, right? Like, oh, like, right. I can't pick South Carolina to advance unless South Carolina will pass my new stupid bill or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's so much there that I, declining it was. I, I didn't think of it either way as like you know there are people saying oh you know come on President Trump it's a new tradition. I was like no you know I, I, I were me and I didn't know enough about college basketball. I said. All right, fine. Like you know, I'll 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 pass on it. But Donald um, Trump, think- Donald for the, for the record, Donald Trump played baseball as a kid. Like that that was something that I read he about. Said like, he did right. I think I think he was like, a, like at least from what I read, he was a pretty good baseball player. So it's not like he doesn't know how to throw a baseball. Well, like so, the, 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 I, here's where I'm getting at. It's like the the possibility of I don't know embarrassment. I'm thinking of like the worst first pitches we've ever seen. Fifty Cent obviously comes to mind. Uh, there was a political somebody, was it a mayor, Cincinnati mayor, I'm thinking? Is that who it is? Who threw, like, a pitch that was just so wide, uh, it was wide right of the catcher, wide left to his left, uh, that hit a cameraman. You know, that level of, like, replay, because this is the thing about, about President Trump, and again, not getting political here, when nobody's getting political, we're just talking about a president throwing out a first pitch here. Uh, but just the, he knows how social media has an impact, as we've seen with his... He does, with seem, his, he does seem to recognize that, yeah. Right, so, so if he knows how much it's going to get replayed over and over again, I get it. I kind of do. Um, uh, you know, if it is a scheduling conflict, okay. But if it's not, and he just doesn't want to throw out the first pitch, I mean, I guess I get it. Um, I but, get it, uh, I get it. But I want a president who is not afraid to throw out a pitch because of potential Twitter repercussions, right? I'm sorry. I want a guy who's like, I don't care what they say about my first pitch on Twitter. I'm a president. It's the United States of America. We go to the the opening day, and I throw out a pitch. It's not like Donald Trump, again, like he doesn't have time for sports. It's not like he wasn't sitting – I mean, there's a – amazing picture, uh, and I know you remember the moment well of when Carlos Beltran struck out to end the NLCS in, sure. in 2006, and if you if you look at the photo of Beltran sort of turning to the umpire after Adam Wainwright's just positively filthy 0-2 curveball uh, and, and getting caught looking and becoming Beltran like the, the most hated Mets great of all time, uh, <laughs> and, and you zoom out and Donald Trump is like Three rows behind home plate, looking like the, so the, disappointed. The, the trench yeah. coat, yeah, right, the yeah. trench coat is what you see. I, my, my, uh, this is a side note. I just want to throw it out there because it's it's a story. It's a, you know one of those sort of athlete or uh, sports war stories I tell occasionally. It's just I got the chance to interview the future president of the United States years ago. What um, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I interviewed Donald Trump. This is the story. So I went to a skating event at a uh, Woman Rink, which is in Central Park. It's owned by Donald Trump. Right? Do I have that right? It, I'm trying to think. Is it? It's woman, right? Yeah. Uh, that is and it was rink, an event. That is a rink in Central Park. Yes, I believe he owns it, um, and I'm 90 percent sure because that's where I went. Anyway, I went there. Uh, I was then a, a reporter for ESPN, the magazine. Um, I was a, a, a writer, you know, sort of also did some fact-checking. Anyway, the point being, I went there to a skating event to interview uh, some former gold medalists who were there for a benefit or something like that. And it was just, a, you know, one of these sort of, um, you know, sort of almost like the front of the book New Yorker, kind of like a talk of the town, like, you know, just going and seeing what skaters are up to. I didn't have any specific questions, just kind of trying to paint a scene of what it was like. And I didn't know this, but Donald Trump showed up to the event, and he walked in um, – and walked through kind of you know the, one of those set up tents that they have, uh, and and they he walked through with somebody I don't remember who it was. It was probably during the days I think it was two thousand must have been the the aughts somewhere in there, and he passed by and I was like I gotta ask this guy a question so I shouted I said Mr. Trump Mr. Trump did not turn around and I just as he passed me by I, the first thing that came to mind it was must have been. Uh, must have been right before baseball season. I shouted out, Mr. Trump, who is winning the World Series this year? And he didn't answer for a second. And he walked, kept walking. And I thought, ah, well, I tried. And all of a sudden, I, over the shoulder, over his shoulder, I heard him say, the Yankees, of course. And he kept walking. And that was my interview with That's, Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Right? It there's was great. there's it was, parallels it was... to be drawn there. And, and Trump... As a New York City rich guy, you kind of—of course, you're going to be drawn to the Yankees. Yes, it was—it was a great answer in a great in Trumpian way, I guess you'd say. It was—it was, it was a, a amusing, amusing. Now that you look at what happened in, in world history, that that 
like I look back and I say, oh, I, can, I interviewed a sitting president. Well, he wasn't a time sitting, so an almost president at that point. Yeah, I mean, think about all of the different ways, like the butterfly effect things that could have happened if you would ask oh, a sure. different question. Oh, that it's on me. It's on uh, me, world. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. I mean, or maybe it's a credit to you, depending on your political stance. <laughs> right. Uh, good point. Give me. Your, let's get out of this. Give me your. <laughs> give me your last good thing. Uh, I'll uh, finish off with the NCAA tournament. We're approaching the Final Four. Very exciting. I'm um, glad you brought and, this up. I'm glad you brought this up because I've seen. So, yes. I'm sorry to admit this. I've seen so little of it. Yeah, I've, I haven't watched a ton of it. I've watched like almost just enough to kind of keep keep a, 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 a toe in the water, as it were. Um, I, I want to go back and, and sort of something you wrote that was so true, and I was you mentioned it just like it's all guesswork for for bracket picking, and I was like you should write that, and you wrote it, and it was great. Um, just kind of you know saying like look, if you think you're you're a bracket expert, like give me a break, and I loved that because. It made me feel better about every year when I pick a bracket, and I don't follow college basketball nearly enough as as many experts, so called, as you say, um, say they do. And looking back, I'm I'm starting to think about blowing up my strategy, which is sort of it's not foolproof; it's just guesswork. Um, it's sort of vaguely educated guesswork in terms of sort of trends over the years and and uh, you know kind of how things shake out. But really, it just uh, the NCAA tournament for bracket picking and for gambling just makes you feel bad. I just think it just it it's just at the end of the 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 March Madness, I always feel like uh, I need, and it's just in time for for baseball season, which is great for for those of us who do fantasy baseball. Um, but it just it, the NCAA tournament makes me feel like an inept person um even <laughs> with the idea that it's all guesswork you know that's my angle um see i feel the opposite way because as an inept like i go into it knowing that i am completely inept and like i wrote in that thing i've won three office pools in like yeah. the last eight years while working in sports among people who are either actual like on air television and and internet and and uh web experts in college basketball and a bunch of other people who just follow college basketball a lot more closely than I do. And I keep winning because I guess, and, and that's it. I just guess I like, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I like, I watch a lot of the big East. So I, I tend to favor big East just like, it's like a gut thing. But for the most part, I like look at the two teams and I look at how they're ranked. And most of the time I pick the favorite. And sometimes I'm like, Hey, this is an underdog that might win. And it's not because I know anything about that team. It's because it's like, Hey, I kind of, I kind of like this team. You know, like I like something about them. I think they wear cool colors, whatever it is. It's a, you know, I'm trying to find one 12, five matchup where I believe in the underdog. This one seems as good as any. I'll just pick it. It's guessing. It's pure guessing. And like right now, I'm sort of sit, sitting right in the middle of the pack of the for the win uh, pool. I'm not going to win it this year like I did last year, but I'm right in the middle of the pack just by, again, working with a bunch of people who know way more about college basketball than I do. But that's probably, you know, sort of the, the I don't know what effect that is, the, the I don't know, um, uh, osmosis effect, maybe that you're like glomming, you know, you're getting information off of uh, all of us. I don't know. I don't know what it is. No, it's um, luck. It's just good luck. I mean, it's just pure luck. Yeah, yeah, and we, yeah, randomness. Uh, but yeah, it, it's one of these things where like every year I go in and I say, okay, I've got like four or five brackets. I'm gonna do one that's sort of like the crazy bracket, like so many upsets, chaos, blah, you know, and that's like the hedge against the the normal chalky bracket. And it turns out my normal chalky bracket did, did the best of the bunch this year. Um, and I always pick two one seeds to go in, in each of those brackets, along with maybe a two or three. And then, like, you try to be kind of outlandish and try to think of a team. I wouldn't have picked South Carolina if it, my life depended on it. It was We have a coworker, Luke, who is rooting for them, and I was like, Good luck with all that. They're a seven seed, and here they are. They're in the final four, and th that's what. Beyond the bracket stuff, the great thing about this year's tournament is that there are three teams in there that legitimately, as somebody who's a sort of a casual, I enjoy March Madness. Not a huge college basketball guy, but I love the tournament. Uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited. I'm gonna. I'm sorry, North Carolina. I'm rooting against uh, the Tar Heels. They've won enough. Um, the I said this on our our for the win uh, uh, Facebook Live. Uh, you know, there are so many of the same champions over the last 20 years that it's just, it's the haves have more than the have nots. And I really would like to see some have nots win. Gonzaga would be great. 
Um, even though they're a number one seed, do we all really believe that Gonzaga was going to get this far? No. I mean, they were always sort of the, the upset darlings, and here they are, you know, potentially winning a national championship. Like, I think that's a really cool story. Um, South Carolina winning it all would be really fun just because they're a seven seed and unexpected, and unexpected teams are way more fun. Uh, than the sort of the, the, the expected. And then uh, you got Oregon, who, you know, the, everyone underrated. This is what I do for the tournament. I read a lot of stuff, and I go, oh, look, Oregon lost, like, one of their key players. Like, they're going to lose, and here they are. And they're playing like a team, and it's really cool to watch. And so, you know, really great uh, final four there. I'm, I'm actually pretty psyched for the ending of this tournament. Yeah, I mean, I'll watch it from here on out. I would say one, one good thing is that, the to me at least, the truly detestable teams in college basketball are mostly out. Like, for whatever reason, yeah, North Carolina, for as steadily good a program as that is, I just don't feel the hatred towards them that I do towards Duke, uh, right? Like, I, I, and I feel like that's, that's probably a national thing, right? Like, no one hates North Carolina other than Duke fans. I don't think so. I don't think they're as hateable. But there's still a have in my book that they they're just, they just kind of got, you know, coached. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't think there's this huge amount of hatred. I, I would, I would, I think it's a good, good take. But when I think of like the programs that I, I really dislike, it's like Duke, Kentucky. Um, it's pretty fun to root against UCLA this ga- these days, though. I, I don't think it's, <laughs> I think it's the dad's fault, not the kid's fault. But it's still fun to root against them, you know. Um, and, and like, uh, I don't know. And you know, again, like part of it is like various Big East biases and teams that have, have beaten Georgetown, which is a long list in recent years, but uh, but I'm always down on Florida for that reason. Uh, I got reasons to be down on Baylor, and they're out of it. Like, uh, like a lot of the teams you you want to root against, I feel like. I, I Like, there's no none of these teams, if, if it's like, if it comes down to, yeah, and I, I would be rooting against UNC because they're the obvious team that wins a lot here among the among the among the remaining teams but there's no team where it would be like ah no i can't believe duke won again and, you know because you hate yeah. it when duke wins and now it's like oh it's a pretty likable group all things considered at least unc they have cool colors i'll give them that uh south carolina would be fun i just want to make your point about luke which is a good one but I will say that whenever my team is in the NCAA tournament, and this is this is going to be a funny thing to know when you know that I've won several tournament pools and that my team is Georgetown, which is the team yeah. that goes out in the first round and the second round every single year, uh, and I... I, I just I just pick them going all the way every year because I don't want to I don't want to this is something that dates back to my first job in sports I had an internship at Fox in DC and there was a guy that worked there and I won't say his name but he was a huge 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 Redskins fan Redskins were bad and he he bet on sports sometimes and he would bet against the Redskins and then it would kill him because it, it seemed like every time he bet against the Redskins the Redskins won or or uh, at least you know covered and, and so I have always had a thing where you never get you, you I just never bet against I would never bet against my teams because I don't ever want to be in a scenario where my whether it's actual gambling or just office bragging rights or whatever you're doing where that would make the I want pure happiness is what I'm looking for right like I want it to be pure joy when my team wins whatever it wins because it's never happened for me but when that happens I don't want it to be like Oh well, I would have made a lot more money if they lost because that, uh, that's an interesting yeah. wrinkle. Yeah. Um, so my my theory is you just you always bet your team. So if I were Luke right now, I'd have had South Carolina right where they are, and I'd be feeling pretty good about it. That's an interesting uh, wrinkle to the whole thing, and I'll tell you, I have that with uh, fantasy sports. I tend not to draft. I try not to, I guess, draft um, players from the team that I root for. And I, I don't know what it, – it's a really horrible little stupid human bias that I know is ridiculous. Oh, right? it's totally like, stupid, and I do the same thing. Well, it's not okay, – I'm good. the opposite. I'm the opposite. I, I do draft team. I, I draft guys I like. So And, like, now that I cover it up close with fantasy baseball, it's, like, totally warped. Because it's like, <laughs> oh, I don't really like that guy. Or, like, he gives bad quotes. I don't want him on my team. That's too funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, like with the Mets, like I would only probably draft Noah Syndergaard because he's going to be awesome. But like, I, I, it was a thing for a while there with um, New York Knicks players and things like that, where I would just sit there and be like, "Do I want to watch however many games I'm going to watch this season?" And just kind of like cringe. And look, I'm all about 
your team first and then your fantasy team, right? I will never, ever, ever, ever feel bad if the Giants win a game and my fantasy players lose. You know, like that is not... I, I'm always a believer in, you know, the team you root for first and then your fantasy team. That you've being said... Your, you've got your priorities straight. Right, right. But that being said, I just don't want to suffer... You know, every time that, that guy gets up to bat, there's that extra... You know, I used to... Like, David Wright would get up to bat, and I would be, like, quaking, like, oh, man, like, you know, here, come on, do it for both my teams. There was just that little bias in there, I guess you'd call it. So it, it was pretty funny. I think it still lasts today a little bit, but not as much. But, yeah, it's... Uh, it, people are weird. That's that's the conclusion I have. People are definitely weird. I See, I at least own it. Like, it used to be, like... <laughs> uh, like Chad Chad Ochocinco or Chad Johnson was just like by far my favorite NFL player when I was playing fantasy football, and so like I would take him like three rounds before where he really deserved to be taken because I just wanted him on my team because I wanted to root for that guy. Yeah, well, and there's also the drafting a guy just so you can uh, uh, sort of root for him uh, this season right. um, and watch. This games that happens that's happened in the in, in I feel like fantasy basketball a lot where this season people are like I'm gonna draft you know spend way more than I would on Giannis Antetokounmpo or uh, you know Russell Westbrook or whoever it is I mean those are kind of two top guys I'm trying to think of somebody a little bit lower but they were like I'm just drafting them for the heck of it so I can watch their games um, I, that happens with individual players and that's always a lot of fun too because then you're like oh now I get to watch Milwaukee Bucks games even though I live on the East Coast and I'm now gonna you know be able to root for that guy. Yeah, I like I like stacking guys, especially in baseball, for that reason. Like it's like uh, I'm just gonna have a bunch of Cubs this year because then I have a good excuse to watch the Cubs all the time. Uh, and I'll say another thing, and and we gotta wrap this up because we've gone far beyond where I expected. But uh, <laughs> another thing that's really messed up because I know you also play in a in a fairly deep. Uh, you you also play deep NL only fantasy, right? That is correct. Yes. All right. So so I have I'm in a crazy fantasy baseball league that that is nl only it's got a bunch of owners and and it's got a uh it's a deep keeper league you you draft minor leaguers and so what happens to me that screws me up on a sort of a professional level is i i'm drafting these minor league guys that are like not even landing on the because it was everybody's taken you know everybody's i joined this league sort of late all the the big name minor league guys unless they're first recent first round picks the big name guys go immediately and so you're scouring the minor league ranks for you know sleeper guys and guys who sort of had eye popping stats in a ball and and no one has ever really heard of yet and then i go to spring training and like I've been following this high A catcher closely every single day for the past two years, and I, I'm thinking this like I see that guy and I'm like, oh my god, there he is! It's like I get starstruck. <laughs> like I, it's like I don't even care. Like I'll go walk up to Mike Trout and talk to him. It's no big deal. I've talked to Mike Trout before. It's like whatever, you know. Like I'm I'm used to that by now. But you, I, I get, I, you get a little messed up by the fantasy stuff because you start, you start following these guys so closely that you think like they're way more important in the scheme of baseball stuff than they really are on the actual MLB landscape because they're so important to the future of your fantasy team. So you see, like, <laughs> um, like you see, like. Cody Bellinger, who's now like a pretty big prospect, hey, big, but, big deal, yeah. but he's been a guy that I've had for a couple of years. I, you know, and like I picked him up before he was a, a big prospect. Um, so now you see that, and you're like, and like I'm tempted, like sitting in the in the Dave Roberts manager scrum to be like, okay, so like around when do you think Cody Bellinger might get called up this year? <laughs> if you do call him up, do you think he'll get to 130 at bats? Because that's the threshold for when I need to activate him. And do you think he will immediately hit, or he's going to need some time? Because I really got to sort of figure out how I'm going to play this over the course of the next few seasons. Yeah, fantasy fantasy sports has messed us all up as reporters. Yeah. I think you know. Um, I don't. Having... Uh, for the record, I don't actually ask those questions, but they do. They are like instinctively like that. So like I think about that <laughs> at least. <you're> like, <laughs> yeah, like, ah! like let's let's talk more about Jose De Leon because well now he's now he's on the Rays, which is terrible for my team because he's now only I got to lose him. Uh, but again, that's another guy I picked up years ago and has, you know, burst onto the prospect radar. And now it's like, now that's like the big celebrity to me and not a guy that a lot of people have heard of. That's too funny. All right. Uh, we got to go. Uh, you can check out the For the Win podcast on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on iTunes. Charles is on Twitter at ByCharlesCurtis. You're still at ByCharlesCurtis, correct? 
Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Right. Still there. Charles is there. I'm at OG Ted Berg. We're both writing lots of stuff at For the Win, FTW.USAToday.com. Check it all out. Charles, again, this was fun. Thanks for joining. Always a blast, man. Thanks for having me on. Adios. <laughs>